Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Time to enter the multiverse smash style. It's episode 443 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The whole Warner Brothers games thing went so well last week. I thought I would go there. Once again this week and share some of my interviews for Multiverses, the brand new game. Well, it's not new. It's been out for a little bit, but the game from Warner Brothers Games. I got a chance to catch up with a couple members of the voice cast and some of the creative team behind that game at Comic-Con this year, including the, the game director, also one of the executive producers, Matthew Lillard, who's the voice of Shaggy, and Tara Strong, who's the voice of Harley in the game will join me this week to talk about Multiverses. So if you're enjoying it or if you haven't got a chance to play it yet and you're looking for some insight, I'll definitely have that for you this week. Also going to talk about Titans. Season 4 is kicked off. Going to give you my spoiler-free review of that. Next exit from Magnolia Pictures is a brand new movie that seems kind of interesting. So we'll talk about that as well. Going to follow up on the DC news from that last week with James Gunn and Peter Safran. And what the plan is going forward. Some Harry Potter news as well. Bad news for Stargirl. Good news for Sandman. Maybe bad news for The Witcher. And a whole lot more. That's that's what we got going on on the show this week. It's going to be a busy November. I could promise you that. So much cool stuff coming. You, you just wait. Wait till next week's show. Next week's show is going to be interview jammed. I can just, I'll just tell you that right now. Up next, though, we're going to be talking about multiverses. Going behind the scenes of that game. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Waging battles you never thought possible. Multiverses from Warner Brothers Games is now available, and you won't believe the roster of characters in this game. So much fun, such a unique fighting game, and I got a chance at Comic-Con to talk to some of the creative minds behind the game, as well as some of the voices of some of the characters as well. I actually want to start with Shellaman Bird, who's the executive producer at Warner Brothers Games. And when we were at the roundtable, the first question to him from one of the journalists was, how do you go about choosing a, the characters for a game like this? And I think that's a good way to start things off. Typically, whenever we're putting char- the sort of character list and the choosing and picking process, we don't just look at, hey, what's the most popular? We tend to actually look at both diversity, inclusion, we look at gender, we look at sort of who's actually coming, who's in the point, and of course, overall kind of fan opinion of who, hey, we want, for instance, Mordecai or Ricky, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just one metric we used to put together, it's actually a host of them. So when we talk about like the current sort of cast and we announce the current cast, we know there were a lot of, wait, why'd they pick this person instead of this person? It's like, well, again, the full gamut of Warner IP has a lot of representation in it. As a live service game, it's not necessary that we add everyone in on the first day versus understanding a path to get to every character that fans understand. One of the interesting things about multiverses is it's not just fictional characters per se. Like LeBron James 
is in the game because he was in Space Jam. That's one of the things. So somebody asked, you know, what the challenges are bringing a, you know, flesh and blood person into a game like this. And here's what he had, here's what they had to say. So first, Ron obviously represents a completely different paradigm in terms of a character being brought into a fighter. He's a real life fighter. He's one of the greatest baseball players ever hit the ball. In Space Jam, it's just his skill set sort of translated to that film. The way we kind of look at it is that at his core, like at his soul as a character, like what he's famous for is making his team better. That's his friends, that's the folks around him, that's the school of Akron, that's everything else. He means we get to work together as a team. Figuring out that and just pretty much making that the kind of essence of his character and translating that over, that pretty much is, that was the tricky part in terms of how do we make sure this person who is unbelievable at basketball can deal with someone who's throwing batarangs at all, at all moments of the day? Understanding that, we think we actually have a very, very compelling answer. So we're pretty happy about that. Since this is a multiplayer game, I thought this was a really important question to ask. Somebody asked if characters were designed and skills and skill sets were designed based on sort of the ability to work with one another and I thought this answer was really really important. That is the core of pretty much every character like everyone has to have a skill to work with someone else so the pillar like again the main pillar of the game is built around co-op and 2v2 play like obviously we have 1v1 characters we find a 1v1 and we have free-for-all but you and I getting together you and I getting together you together that's the sword. So, so every character having something where my, I'm summoning something as Wonder Woman, my shield is shield you too. Alright, let's go get it. You see us coming. Hey, guess what? I'm going to turn into a bouncy house. You can bounce me and try to hit us from the air. That interaction and that sandbox all the time, that pretty much is the soul of what we were aiming for. So as we look at it, it's a sandbox that we can just keep adding more toys into. So it's a, that's, a, that's pretty much the way we're like, we're pretty excited. So when it comes out to, when it comes to figuring out move sets for certain characters, I feel like some are obvious and some really some are harder than others. So I wanted to ask Shellman about that because I mean when you're talking about like characters like Shaggy, you know, what what are the moves for him like? So I asked Shellman about that. How do you come up with the move sets for some of these characters? Because characters like Superman, Batman, that it might be a little obvious. But once you get into Shaggy and like Adventure Time and stuff like that, does it get a little bit more difficult or do you guys have an idea of what you want to do going So Tony touched on this a little bit in the panel, but functionally every single character has to fulfill like a game design need, a game design reason, like the character is not just going to be, hey, he's in, and, and, right, exactly. <laughs> and that's it. It's what need does this player, what, what, does, what does this need does this character actually have that's going to actually serve the player base, and how does this actually relate to bigger pillars for the actual time? So, Batman, brought him up, yep, <laughs> super straightforward in terms of what has been seen out right, there. Like right. Now, Velma, who has teamed up with Batman before, She's not gonna <laughs> like that's that's not Velma's thing. But Velma's thing is her brain. Alright? What does that actually mean? I mean she's gonna outthink you. Alright, what's the literal version of how you outthink somebody? So so the way that sort of the team actually gets to that creative process, it's like that for every character. So while there'll be ideas, it's not necessarily a hundred percent clear that all of them are going to work <laughs> until the very end. And it's one of those things where we just take our time to make sure that it's it's really there and it's really set. But when we said like no, we don't want echo fighters or anything like that. That's what that means to us is that every fighter is bringing something different to the table and can build something, build on something with someone else. 
Next to sit down with us was Tony Huyun, who is the game director on Multiverses, also the co-founder of Player First Games, who is, you know, the, the one that is is releasing and, and putting the game together. So my first question for him was, we talked a lot about the characters. What about the interactions with the environments and how that impacts the game? How do you manage, like, the interactions with the environment as well? Not just the fighting itself, but I noticed that in the game there's interactions with the environment as well. How, right. What, what, what went into bringing that into the fold as well? I think... And how in depth I should get on this, but it's like part of the like when you're playing the game, there's like different layers of like mastery, right? First of all, it's just like mastering your character and learning how they work, and then mastering your opponent and how they work, and then your ally, and then your uh, op opponent's teammate, right? But then the other layer is the environment, and that actually ties to the gameplay and what you're learning about the game, where you can place the characters, how you can use the environment to your advantage or disadvantage, and that's part of all part of the tactics and strategy um, that create depth in the game. Game and, and why players, I think, will find uh, multiverses exciting for a really long time. One of the next questions was about game modes, the ones that we see now, and some of the ones that we might see or could see in the future. I think more game modes are better, right? But you have to focus on uh, on a few, especially in terms of balance. So our main mode is cooperative two v two, and just balancing that alone is going to be tremendously difficult. And we're already, just in a few days, we're already bursting at the seams of like some balance issues that have appeared already that we had not anticipated. So if you're going to balance for everything, there's just not, there's not enough resources to be able to do that. So you have to focus in on something. That's my belief anyways, uh, in my experience in the past. And so that's what we're doing. We're focusing on 2v2 to balance it. But then on top of that, we're making a lot of new modes that are going to be coming in. And I think that everything from like very competitive modes to very casual modes are coming, um, coming in the future. But we have to, like, especially at the beginning, when the most balanced changes are needing to happen, we have to be focused on making that game really healthy before we move on to other things. So somebody had to ask the question, I guess, in that, you know, like, you look at a character like Superman and think, well, they should just destroy everybody in the game, especially if you're going up against, like, somebody from Adventure Time or something. So one of the questions that was asked was, you know, how do you balance that out and, and make it realistic to the point of a game anyway and still make it fun? inside the game. So here's what Tony had to say about that. First and foremost is gameplay. So, like I said, you have to make it so it's fun for you as a player and then fun for the opponent, right? So if Superman just one-shotting everyone, that is not going to be fun for the opponent, right? And that is kind of the baseline for the game. If we're going to bring these iconic characters into the game, it has to be fun. And that's, um, that's, that's rule number one, right? But at the same time, how do we realize Superman and make him feel powerful, make him feel like Superman? So if you look at his like dodge, he has the fastest like instant teleport dodge of any character. He just dashes around, like he'll walk. Like his, he doesn't run, he walks you down and then dashes at you and appears right in front of you. And he has really powerful charge-up moves and armor that, that blocks the hits from himself, right? So he, he has like heat vision and ice breath and flight. He actually flies <laughs> in a platform fighter, which is pretty crazy. And there's a lot of design challenges wrapped around all that stuff. So I think like when you actually place it as Superman, I think you're going to be really satisfied as a Superman fan. Myself, personally, as a Superman fan, when I play Superman, I feel like Superman. But also, when opponents fight you against Superman, they feel like it's fair. So Tom and Jerry are like a duo character in this game, and Tony actually goes into describing 
what that's all about. And if you don't know, you have to listen to this. I really love this description. So Tom and Jerry is a duo character. So it's incredible. The Tom and Jerry's the way that we realized it was that when you think about Tom and Jerry, they're only they only care about each other. They don't care about anybody else. So Tom, the whole time, he's just trying to chase Jerry. Even when they're running, they're just chasing Jerry. Their attacks are not directed at other players, they're directed at each other. So everybody else is just collateral damage on the characters. So the whole time they're they're running around, jumping, trying to catch each other, while everybody else is getting hurt. And so that is absolutely true to what that character is all about, right? And um, let me tell you that that was an incredibly difficult character to create, but I think that what you see in the game is absolutely incredible. The team has done an incredible job on that character, and that's, that is super important for us to make these characters feel like they are these characters, and you're playing as these characters. And there's a ton of love put into the game to create this authenticity that the characters have. That doesn't come by accident. That comes with a lot of effort and a lot of love. And I think that um, we hope that translates across to, to players when they play the game. Next up, I got a chance to talk to the longtime voice of Shaggy, Matthew Lillard, who is also the voice of Shaggy in Multiverses. So one of the first questions for him was, what makes voicing Shaggy so different in this game? First of all, it's the first time Shaggy's ever been violent, which I think is badass. Second of all, you know, the difference between a video game and a cartoon is... You're always on a 10 in a video game. You're fighting for your life, you're beating somebody up, you're, you know, you're, it's, it's always extreme. And in the cartoon, there's real moments of friendship, real moments of like simple conversation. Solving a mystery is like conversation. So the, the, the vocal endurance it takes to do a video game is much harder than anything else in cartoons. Which is why, in a lot of ways, it's criminal that these actors aren't being paid more. The amount of money that this industry makes, they should be taking care of the voice actors more. Next up, someone asked, what's your favorite memory about voicing Shaggy over the years? And I thought his answer was a really good one. Early in my career, I hated being identified as Shaggy. I wanted to move on to something else. Uh, the older I get, the more I appreciate what it means to other people. And that's the best part. The best part is that you can walk into a situation and make a kid's day or make somebody's day by doing a voice, which is super simple. The power of that is really lovely. I mean, I one of the most memorable moments of my life is I was doing press in London for Scooby Two, and we ended up visiting a children's hospital. And there was a little girl going in for a third open heart surgery, and I was walking by. You know, you're in the, basically in, in pre-op, and this kid wouldn't take her medicine that would sedate her to get ready for surgery. And there was a moment in which they were like, well, Shaggy says Shaggy's, you know, Shaggy talks to you in the voice, will you, will you take your medicine? So there I am begging this kid in a Shaggy voice to take her medicine because she knew when she did, she'd be going into surgery again. And so as a dad, I look back on that all the time and, and I literally walked out of the room and broke down hysterically crying because you're like, it's, it's just so much. But the power of that moment for that kid you know, was, was really memorable. When you've been voicing a character this long, it's natural for somebody to ask if he was given any creative freedom with his lines in the script for multiverses. And here, you can find out for yourself. When you've done something for 20 years, generally I'll come in and say, hey, as I, I think one of the 
world's expert on one thing. Do you mind if I, ju- I will always do it as written and then I will play. And those cadences, I don't think about them. You just go and things happen. In general, it, I think that creatives love it because you're embellishing what they've done in a really authentic way to what the character is historically. So yeah, so I add all kinds of stuff. I always try to add stuff. And generally, people are happy. If you know the Ultra Instinct Shaggy meme that's been going around the internet for years, it's actually a part of this game. So somebody asked him, actually Josh Burton Lampin from Poppers actually asked him, what's it like to finally make that canon? Yeah, the internet's weird, dude. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what people are doing. I don't know why anyone cares. Why that made sense to the whole universe, I have no idea. But it's not for me to judge, right? I think that I do. One of the things I've learned over time with this character is that it's not for me to dictate what that character means to you or not. I respect and love how people find him and find the gang. And so if that makes people happy, then so be it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, look, the difference now in my life at 52 than when I was, when I did the part when I was 30, is that I feel privileged to be in the story of this the character. It's a privilege. When I got a chance to ask you, Matthew, a little, little question, I wanted to ask him how important it was for him to see the character of Shaggy evolving over the years for somebody who's played the character for so long. Here's what he had to say to that. How important is it for you after that 20 years that they just keep finding different ways to use this character? Like, I can't imagine you'd ever thought that, you know, Shaggy would be in some sort of a game like this. How important is it for you to see them keep continuing to evolve this character into different things? Yeah, it's funny. The You know, at some point, Casey, after I'd done the movie, the original movie, Casey was still doing the voice. And so I said in the most respectful way possible, because somebody called and said, would you do a, a, a cartoon? And it's like, as long as Casey is ready to move on, I'm happy to step in. In fact, I would love to step in, but not until Casey's done. And like two years later, they called me. Look, every iteration is, and, and I didn't understand how much that they do with the character. I had no idea that there's always something happening around these characters. And that's because the IP is beloved worldwide, right? I think that there's certainly North American specific characters that people like, but this, this storytelling is worldwide. Uh, and that's not, I never understood that. Look, I, I love it. It's, to be frank, to have a character, to be an actor that continually has an opportunity to come back and help feed your kids is awesome. Next up, it was the wonderful and amazing Tara, Scr- Tara Strong, who of course voices Harley Quinn in Multiverses. So somebody asked, you know, you voiced Harley so many times. Did you kind of approach this iteration a little bit differently, or how did you approach this iteration? Here's what she said. Well, anytime Harley shows up in a new universe or iteration, we have to sort of imagine what 
her energy level is, what her vocal pitch is. You know, there are obviously darker versions of Harley that are less high-pitched, but even still, they still have that little element. I call it the Harley flip, where like she says something and there's like this weird little flip in the middle of it. This game in particular happens to be a very high-energy version. It skews to a huge audience, can be younger to older players, and she's funny and fun and fearless. Funny, fun, fearless. That's her. Um, she has a lot of really fun weapons. She has her typical bat and mallet, but also in this game she has a Batman plushie that she throws at people to blow them up. So that's pretty cool. Harley's had so many good lines over the years. Somebody asked if Tara had a favorite one. Here's what she said, of course, in her classic Harley voice. Well, I have a lot of favorite Harley Quinn lines, but in this game, I'm trying to remember, I kind of like that she loves Taz. <laughs> it's like such a cute little dynamic. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a favorite line yet from this game, but I do like that they've gone back to some of her old costumes and there's going to be a lot of fun skins that people can get. But it's, yeah, it looks good. It's cute. So kind of in the same token, I asked Tara if she has a favorite version of Harley that she's voiced over the years because there's been so many different iterations, and I loved her answer. You're talking about how it was a different version. you played so many versions of Harley. Is there a version of Harley that you like more than others? Because obviously, like, this Harley's different than Arkham Harley and other things. I, well, listen, I love all of it. I happen to be a human that likes Batman Dark. Like, I just like that world. Um, and so whenever Harley's a little bit more uh, natural and... Um, having higher stakes emotionally, I prefer that. I've had many moments voicing Harley in video games where I'm crying because like the Joker dies or something terrible happens and it sort of immerses me into the game with that character. So that for me is creatively acting wise more rewarding, but I still do have an appreciation for the fun side and I, I love it all and I get really mad when someone else plays her. <laughs> 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 so this next question was actually a pop verse exclusive from my friend Josh who asked about Miss Minutes and if Tara's recorded any lines for season two of Loki and if you didn't see the original story when it broke at Comic-Con here was the big news a spoiler she's in it <laughs> I know that so here's the thing about multiverses that it, it seems not only does it have an amazing cast and and it's already added so many characters from the game since I got a chance to talk to the cast and all the creators at Comic-Con, but it seems like this is a game that's really made for the players. And that can be kind of a cliche at times, but really this one seems like it's going to cater to so many different fandoms, to so many different players, and you're going to get to see character combinations that you're probably never going to get to see anywhere else. Plus, you know, it's a, it's a fun beat-em-up game with some interesting movesets, and I, it's just a fun game to play. So make sure you're getting multiverses wherever you love to get your games. And I just watch this thing evolve because I think it's going to be a blast. Again, thanks to the creative teams and the voices behind the characters of multiverses for joining me at Comic-Con. I finally got a chance to share that with you. Up next, how about a spoiler-free review of the Titan Season 4 premiere? We'll dig into that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This is Francesca Root Dodson from Gotham, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Spooky season might be over, but if you're the Titans, it's just beginning. Season four of Titans, the first two episodes have now premiered on HBO Max. I want to go ahead and give you my spoiler-free review of this. I know it came out on Thursday. I don't want to be the guy if you haven't been able to watch both episodes yet or you're a little bit behind on getting started. But our Titans end up in Metropolis, thanks to Bruce Wayne. I can tell you that much right now. Bruce Wayne's kind of guided them to Metropolis. The first couple of episodes are pretty Connor heavy, and that's not a bad thing either, by the way. So there's a reason that they're going to Metropolis, and I won't reveal to you exactly what that is, but man, do they run into a boatload of trouble when they get there. And I have to say, we kind of meet all three, I say three villains, because you know that Lex Luthor is part of the story. So I'll go ahead and categorize him as a villain because that's what we sort of see him as. So we get to see Lex Luthor, and I'll go ahead and, and do these a little bit bit by bit because I want to talk about all these villains here for a second. We get to finally see Titus Welliver's Lex Luthor, and I have to say, this is a very different Lex Luthor. It's a little bit of a different ap- approach. It's a little bit different mindset, and there's a reason for that. Maybe you've already seen the spoilers, the reason why that is. Maybe you've already, you know, kind of surmised that 
from from trailers and things like that and stuff that you've read about the show. But there's a very there's an there's a very good reason why Lex is the way he is in this episode. And and, and you know the history with Connor. That's not a spoiler for you. So when you get to see Connor and Lex in the same room, that, that those were some very very good scenes to set the tone for this season. Very very early and Titus Welliver man as Lex Luthor as advertised even if it is a very different version of Lex just that presence that look he has that presence that you need to have when you're playing Lex Luthor and really stood out in limited work early on in this season so well well done by Titus Welliver there and then of course you know something happens and it's a very much a game changer for Connor but then it opens the door for Mother Mayhem and let me tell you something if you didn't know who Mother Mayhem was before you watched Titans you're gonna learn today I can tell you that right now if you didn't think that Mother Mayhem was a legit villain for the Titans to face after all these big names that they've faced in previous seasons you are wrong because Mother Mayhem really makes her presence felt in these first couple a couple of episodes. And once you see what she can do, what she's capable of, man, does this tell you that they are in for one of the biggest fights they've had so far, as far as the Titans are concerned. There's actually a line in this in these first couple of episodes. I think it's Corey that delivers it, that references that. It's it's almost like, you know, you know, man, I didn't I didn't realize that this is where, you know, we've been up against this, we've been up against this, but this is a completely different story. And part of the reason for that is because they're leaning into the magic a little bit more in this season. They're leaning definitely more into the supernatural. And there are some definite horror vibes in these first couple of episodes of Titans. There are, there are times where this was uncomfortable to watch. And I'm talking about more than one occasion where this was a very uncomfortable watch so now is it like super scary horror vibes or or gory or anything like that I wouldn't say that I wouldn't go that far but definitely not one you're gonna watch with want to watch with the kids I can tell you that much for sure so this is definitely a very heavy very dark version of Titans so far and the show's gotten pretty freaking dark so that should tell you where we're at so far and then we move on to Brother Blood and Again, I feel like this is definitely a different approach to Brother Blood. Now, is he bro- Brother Blood when the f- when the show first starts out? No, I can tell you that much right now. You, they're definitely building this character up to be what he is going to eventually become and how things all tie together. You kind of see the tea leaves there a little bit. Again, not something I can reveal because I'm not doing this with spoilers, whether you want me to or not. So, but you kind of see... I don't want to. I don't want to use a cliche, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna choose my words carefully here. You sort of see the steps that are that are being taken to get him to become Brother Blood, to get to that point in the story. And you, now, now here's the the only question is you don't know how or why it's happening to him. And neither does he, by the way, in the early stages. But you see what's happening to him. You, you do get to see a little bit of the how. You do get to see a little bit of that. Now, again, it's not something that he realizes. But as viewers of the show and as fans, you're seeing it. And you're going, oh, okay, so that's how that's happening. Or at least that's part of the reason 
that that's happening. And you can see the steps that are being taken to eventually get to where he's going to be and become brother blood. So I kind of like the fact that he's not automatically brother blood right when we get to the beginning of the show. I think that that's a really, really neat thing that they went ahead and did with this. But man, I got to tell you, this is this is shaping up to be a really freaking good season of Titans because I, I this is a show that I've really enjoyed up to this point anyway and what what they've done with this and made it more edgy but my goodness this it just feels like this supernatural aspect to the show is really really taking off and I think we're going to see some good character stuff again from all of the Titans. That's something that this show's been able to spectacularly do is give their Titans each their own part of the story without it kind of being cluttered going into the main story. Freaking amazing that they're able to do that. So and we're going to see some great stuff, I think, from from Connor. Uh, you you see that in the first couple of episodes. I think that Corey, again, is going to have a really neat story. I think that what's going on with Gar, especially what's going on with Raven. Hello. Yeah, that one's going to be really, really interesting. So, yeah, don't sell anybody short. I could tell you that right now. You You are definitely going to want to watch Titans if you haven't already. And I would recommend not getting too far behind on this because there's stuff that's going to be spoiled for you for sure for freaking sure if you're not caught up soon. So if you haven't watched the first couple of episodes of Titans yet, you're definitely going to want to do that in the next day or two. I don't want it to be spoiled for you. I'm not going to be the guy that does it, but somebody's going to do it, and you're going to see stuff on social media at some point if you haven't already. So just be aware of that. Be very weary of spoilers for Season 4 of Titans. And that'll do it for my spoiler-free review of Titan Season 4, the first two episodes anyway. Up next, going to talk about the new Magnolia Pictures movie, Next Exit, that's now on demand and in select theaters. Talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Mark Paul Gossler from The Passage on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. What if there was life even in the afterlife? The new Magnolia Pictures movie, Next Exit, which is now in select theaters, and on demand as well. This one caught my interest right away from the trailer, actually. And if you're not familiar with the story, it follows the story of a research scientist who's played by Karen Gillan. She makes this, she says that she can track people into the afterlife, and she's she says she can prove it. So there's a research study that she's doing, and she's you know selecting certain candidates to go into the afterlife. So she can go ahead and prove this. So basically you have these characters, Rose, who's played by Katie Parker and Teddy, who's played, he's played by Raul Coley. And they are seeing, they are going to be part of this study. Now they, they have their different reasons for doing that. They both have secrets that, you know, we eventually find out about as the movie goes on and they're traveling across the country to get to this study. Now they kind of end up, you know, together by chance sort of thing. And and they end up traveling together. And that's how their story is kind of, you know, fleshed out throughout the course of this movie. So what I want to tell you right now, and I'm doing this without spoilers, so I'm, but I am going to tell you about something and, and manage your expectations here just a little bit. If you're going into this thinking it's going to be a sci-fi heavy movie 
with all kinds of different scientific aspects. That's not what happens in this movie. I can tell you that right now. So hedge your expectations on that. If you're expecting this to be a big time supernatural story with all kinds of funky things going on, there's a little bit of that, but that's not the meat of this story. That's not the meat of this movie. So again, just change your expectations as you're coming in because what this is really is a character-driven drama story to me. That And it's very heavy on mortality and reasons for living and things like that. That's what it was from my perspective anyway. And you're going to be seeing a lot of Rose and a lot of Teddy and a lot of their, a lot of this movie is the forging of their relationship or not relationship. I'm not going to spoil that for you and just see how they interact as they go about this journey together for very, very different reasons. They both have the, the end goal of ultimately ending their life and being a part of this study, but they, they're going about it for different reasons. And, you know, yeah, they meet people along the way, and yeah, they get, that kind of helps them realize, you know, what they really want out of life or afterlife or, how, again, however you want to look at this. So they, they find out certain things about themselves based on the people that they meet, and that includes each other, too, by the way. So that's what this movie is really about. But in that respect, is this movie breaking new ground? It kind of isn't because you've seen movies like this before. Now, it's wrapped up in a different packaging and the stakes are different. But it wouldn't be the first time you've seen two people meet by chance. And as they go about traveling together, learn things about themselves and learn things about their relationship and about life and all that that sort of you know, maybe gives them a different perspective or, or closure or, you know, you fill in the blank for whatever you need for your story in that regard. What you do get out of this is very good performances individually from Katie Parker and also Rahul Kohli, who does a, a they do great, a great job as Rose and Teddy. And you get to see different aspects to them as well. It's not just very heavy performances. There's some there's some lighter Sometimes even funny moments to the story. Their chemistry is very, very good as characters throughout the movie. There's some very, very serious stuff that gets discussed here. Just not not necessarily because of this research project and whether you agree with it or not and whether you agree with the fact that you could track people into the afterlife or not or the science and all that. You don't really get into that a ton. But what you do get is a lot of in-depth insight into these characters so you're going to either be invested in these characters or you're not you're either going to want to follow their journey and learn about their lives or you're not so just be prepared for that you're within the first i would say 30 minutes of this movie you're going to know whether or not you're invested in these characters but i will also say this thing does take a little bit to get going so and obviously these characters will change over time as characters are supposed to do in movies just in general. So again, if you're going into this thinking, you're going to see like a lot of Karen Gillan, you're going to see a lot of the science and the sci-fi that that is not what you're going to get. This is a character driven drama movie that has that will, that will make you think and make you kind of choose sides and, and, and kind of decide how you feel 
about the overall story in general. And and there are times where it's, it it feels real, right? It feels real, like especially if you're if you've ever dealt with depression or anything like that, or if you've ever dealt something with something major in your life, then yeah, this this is a movie that will get you talking, and will get you and will get you thinking for sure. And the ultimate the the end result of this movie is is a very interesting one as well, and and how this sort of plays out in the end. I'm not gonna tell you if it has a happy ending or not. I'm not gonna. T- I'm. I'm not gonna reveal that to you. What I will say is, this is definitely one of those movies that'll get you thinking, if nothing else. I'm still on the fence about it. Actually, the first time I watched it, I and I was thinking it was a little bit, you know, a little bit slow going. There was one of the characters that I liked way more than the other. You might end up feeling that way too. But the the, the work that is done by Katie Parker and Rahul Rahul Kohli is, is very. It, it's very good. They do very good in these roles. So whether, but the, but you have to like them and, and the story and their journey. So it's not just about the characters and, and whether or not they give good performances. It's about the journey as well. And you have to be invested into that in order to enjoy next exit. That's just my opinion. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of next exit from magnet releasing and Magnolia pictures up next. I'm going to really give you a ton of nerd news, so just be ready for that. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Angelica Washington from DC Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to become a franchise player. It's time for nerd news. And apparently coming out of the Warner Brothers Discovery earnings call, which got a little heated at times, apparently, the focus now... According to CEO David Zaslav, is to focus more on franchises, especially in the film division. And something about being more organized for DC and having a more appropriate, not appropriate vision, but a more focused vision. And that's what Zaslav hopes that James Gunn and Peter Safran, who are now the heads of DC Studios, are going to bring to the table. He also mentioned something about how James Gunn's the only guy that's done a Marvel and a DC movie, which is fair. So, you know, having experience in that area does help. But James Gunn didn't really follow the traditional rule of Marvel storytelling. And that's one of the reasons that his Guardians of the Galaxy movies worked so well in the first place. So I don't know if that necessarily helps him. And I don't know if James Gunn's really the guy that you're looking for if you're looking for, you know, a linear focus approach, I think you just let James Gunn do what he does, and that's create. And whatever might come from that, that's where the success lies. I'm not saying what I just said about James Gunn because it's a criticism. I think one of his greatest strengths is to be able to just kind of do what's needed in the moment and not necessarily say, here's our 10-year plan sort of thing. So to me, a little bit of, a little bit of concern there. But I do think DC being a little bit more focused is not the worst thing in the world because one of the things that happened to DC movies, especially movies, is that they ended up being all over the place. It's like, okay, we want to be connected. Wait, no, we don't. Now, let's do something over here that's not connected to this. Oh, there's that. Oh, wait, well, by the way, we've got the multiverse, all these other things. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, where, where is this again? And how does this fit in? Because people want to, want to understand where something fits in, and that's partially because of the Marvel format. You don't necessarily have to do that. 
If you're gonna create multiple worlds, though, multiple universes, you better let the fans know which universe you're in at that particular time. It doesn't necessarily have to have a thing popping up on the screen that says Earth 2 or anything like that. Just let people know who's in the world that you're currently representing, and I think you're fine. Just like the Arrowverse is a perfect example of that, where you always knew where you were no matter what kind of a show you were putting on. You kind of nest, you kind of knew what Earth you were on. You kind of knew, okay, this is who's in this universe, especially once they made it Earth Prime. Once they made it Earth Prime, you certainly knew where you were. But before they did that, you sort of knew who was able to play in what world. So the Arrowverse was a good example of that, yet they still were able to exist on multiple Earths. That's the kind of thing that I think the DC really needs to do. But I'll talk more about the Arrowverse in a second. Because there's reports that apparently Zaslav wants more Harry Potter. Maybe that means working with J.K. Rowling a little bit more. Even though other reports are suggesting that Fantastic Beasts 4 and 5 and some of the Harry Potter spinoffs are currently on hold. Now, whether you like J.K. Rowling or not, whether you agree with her views or not, she is still the creator of the Harry Potter universe. So any more Harry Potter, I would think, would have to involve jk rowling in some way shape or form and i'm not going to tell you you're right or you're wrong on any of these stances but if you want more harry potter it's going to have to involve jk rowling at least in a certain respect now jk rowling might not be directly involved with any of this but if it's born of the story that came from jk rowling again it's it's something that's that J.K. Rowling's gonna have to be involved in, and if that's a deal breaker for you, then you don't have to support the new stuff, so even though you love Harry Potter and you're never gonna lose your love for Harry Potter, it, it, even if you hate the stance that J.K. Rowling is taking. I'm just saying that if you're going to support it, you have to accept the fact that it's gonna come from J.K. Rowling, at least indirectly, maybe not directly but at least indirectly. So just keep that in mind with any future Harry Potter projects. And again, I'm not going to blame you if you don't support it because you don't support J.K. Rowling. That's perfectly understandable, and that's perfectly reasonable, and that's a personal choice. But I don't expect you to never see any more Harry Potter stuff just because the franchise is a juggernaut, and it's not going to go away. So again, you're going to have to pick and choose whether or not you're going to support this. But there is, look, it looks like there's more coming. We'll have to see what that looks like, though, when it does get here. So that's just a couple things that came out of the earnings call. One thing that is bad news, I guess you could say, is that DC's Stargirl is going to end with Season 3 on the CW. Not shocking, though. Apparently, they kind of knew this going in anyway and knew let's, they were supposed to be writing a proper ending to Courtney Whitmore and company's story anyway. It's just interesting because they just, spoiler alert if you're not caught up on Stargirl for this season, by the way, they just introduced Ultra Humanite, who is a big-time JSA villain from the almost the very, very beginning. I think it was Silver Age, right? Silver Age for Ultra Humanite? So uh, you introduce a big character like that, and you expect, oh, well, for the future of the show, that's going to be amazing, and now there's no future for the show, although three seasons isn't terrible for Stargirl. I obviously feel like it's a show that could have run longer. 
I think that there was more story there to tell. I, I, I really like what they've done in the direction of this season. And we're just kind of getting to the, to, to the thing where, where, where Courtney's kind of revealing everything that happened with, with Icicle and everything like that to Cameron. And, and we're, we're getting to certain points in the show that I wished we'd gotten to sooner if we knew we were going to be to the point where three seasons was going to be it. But I'll take three seasons of Stargirl. Maybe we're not done seeing her because the you know the the whole rumors of the possible Titans crossover or Courtney showing up on Titans at some point or vice versa that could still happen. I don't think we can rule that out based on what we've seen on social media. So I don't think the character is necessarily going to go away completely. Although, if you look at the other reports, this one from Deadline about the Winchesters and Walker Independence not getting more episodes on their order, so they're going to be stopped at 13. Apparently, that applies to Gotham Knights, too. Now that Nexstar owns the CW, who knows what's going to happen with the CW? I have no idea where the CW is going to go. It just seems like a lot of the stuff that's running on the CW now won't be running on the CW for much longer, and that includes shows like Kung Fu that are hugely successful. I just don't see... It's it almost feels like a reset button for the CW and whether that means it turns into more reality programming or focusing on just certain shows. I don't know, but it, it just doesn't feel good like good news for anything that's currently there or, or in development either. I would say that anything you have seen about the CW in the last year as far as what's coming or not coming is tentative at best at this point. And it looks like there's going to be a massive layoffs, too coming to the CW, so I'll have to keep an eye on that as well. But let's go to some good news, and that's the fact that The Sandman is returning for a second season on Netflix. Yeah, there was plenty of rumors about cancellations for the show because, you know, it's not the cheapest show in the world. But, I mean, there's been chatter about the series since it aired months ago, right? So people are still talking about The Sandman, which is never a bad thing. The numbers were good. Fans certainly wanted more. They've waited long enough to get anything from the Sandman in the first place and finally did. And when you have something that's this successful, even if it's a bit costly, why not keep it going? I mean, and they dropped that extra episode almost right after the season aired, which was really neat. So it seemed like Netflix was committed to something a little bit more long term. But then, you know, you don't hear anything about it for for a little bit and you start to get antsy. Well, now we are going to be getting a second season and if I think Neil Gaiman said something about a family dinner or something I I don't hey you can only guess what that means and I'm not going to go ahead and try and reveal that to you just in case you're not caught up but yeah I think that this is a great thing it's it's very unique storytelling that the Sandman has and, and especially if you're even if you're somebody that's not familiar with Sandman comics this is one of those shows that could take you to a different place and be that different thing that you're not used to seeing, especially from DC, by the way. So I think that having more Sandman is not a surprise to me in the fact that the storytelling was good and it made sense. Logistically, though, I was worried about whether or not they do a second season just because of that. But I'm glad that this is happening. I can't wait to see where the second season is going to go. I don't think we're going to be seeing it anytime soon, mind you, but I think it's going to be really exciting. When it does get here, there is a little bit of a problem with another one of Netflix's main shows, and that is The Witcher. And Deadline's reporting this 
as well that Henry Cavill leading leaving The Witcher and the report the reason for that report says is that he just thought it was time to move on and that the production was demanding and the, the travel involved just he just he was ready to say goodbye. Now Liam Hemsworth is taking over the role as Geralt. We we found that out right after Henry Cavill was leaving, so they wasted no time. They knew this was coming, I guess. They wasted no time in announcing a replacement. So I think that that was really smart on Netflix's behalf. There were other reports, though, saying that Henry Cavill wasn't happy with the production or anything and wasn't happy with some of the creative decisions on the show. Now, they have deviated from the source material, so that could be part of his from a fan's perspective. But, you know, this isn't confirmed. I'm certainly not here to put words in Henry Cavill's mouth. But it's certainly, you know, that would echo some fan sentiment from the show, even though it's wildly popular and people seem to enjoy it. There's there, there's a subsection of fans, as there always is, that just said, you know, we're deviating from the source material a bit. I'm not sure about this. You know, you could say the same thing for any Game of Thrones series, whether it be the main show or House of the Dragons. So, and House of the Dragons seemed to do pretty well. But... Not having Henry Cavill in the role as Geralt, I think is going to really change things. And this is not a knock on Liam Hemsworth, by the way. But it really just seemed like they hit a home run having Henry Cavill as Geralt. It just made so much sense. But of course, if Henry Cavill is going to be doing more stuff as Superman with DC, it's not like he was going to be remaining in that role forever. And would you want to just stop the show because Henry Cavill's not a part of it anymore or try to keep it going? I think Liam Hemsworth can be a decent job. I can do a decent job. I just think it's going to feel like a different Geralt. Because how could it not? Just the very stylistically act as actors, Liam Hemsworth and Henry Cavill are pretty different. Okay? And Liam Hemsworth can certainly handle a role like this, but it's going to feel different. Maybe that'll be a good thing. Maybe that'll be a bad thing. But when you're measuring yourself up against somebody who already did a fantastic job, like Henry Cavill did... That is not necessarily setting up Liam Hemsworth for success either. And this is the kind of thing that you can lose fans of a show over because people say, this is my Geralt, and they won't budge from that. And I understand that. I mean, look at what's been going on with Batman for years. Everybody picks their Batman, and that's it. And then they won't accept. There are a lot of people that didn't accept Ben Affleck because of Christian Bale. There's a lot of people that didn't except Robert Pattinson because of Christian Bale and Ben Affleck. So it, this, I, I feel like this is the same kind of problem we could run into with The Witcher. But, you know, m- maybe everything will be fine. I don't know. The Witcher is very popular. Maybe it succeeds just based on that alone. But I don't know. This is one I would keep my eye on for the future of that series. Really quickly, I want to throw this in there because it, it, it really, as Peter Griffin would say, grinds my gears. So let, let me go with this. There is a Peter Pan horror movie that's going to be coming, and this is going to be from the same person who's doing the Winnie the Pooh horror movie, Blood and Honey, who is Reese Fake Waterfield. They're going to make a Grinch horror movie as well, just throwing that out there. To me, that at least makes sense. I could see how you could get horror from the Grinch, and I'm actually kind of surprised nobody's done it before. I am not somebody who's necessarily a supporter of this whole Winnie the Pooh thing. I think it's a little twisted. And may okay, just say what you want about me, at me, whatever. I'm like, did do you have to turn that into that? Like, I, I mean, I guess you could, right? But the, the it just seems like an unnecessary leap to be able to do something like that. And Peter Pan, can we? T- 
all right, I'm going to say this because I've probably said it before, but I'm going to say it a little bit more in a, in a not-so-nice way. Can we knock it the hell off with Peter Pan movies? I don't even care how different they are at this point. There's been 7,000 7, Peter Pan movies, animated, not animated, made out of Play-Doh, I mean, stop motion. I don't think they've done a Lego movie yet. I'm sure they'll do that at some point. Stop it. Absolutely 100% full stop it. I don't care how different a Peter Pan movie is at this point. And I know that I just said from Disney's reveals recently, the Peter Pan and Wendy movie, I was saying, oh, that seems interesting. At least that's coming from Wendy's perspective. At least that's what they're telling us anyway. That's what that movie's going to be about. That's something we haven't seen. Now, a Peter Pan horror movie, is this going to be, you know, is the crocodile going to be ruthless? Is Captain Hook going to be out for blood this time? You know, just slicing Lost Boys into pieces and things like that? Maybe. I guess that's where you could, you could make a Peter Pan slasher film if you want to. But I don't care what kind of Peter Pan movie you're making at this point. I just don't want to see it. I'm done with it. If this, if I get five to ten minutes into this Peter Pan and Wendy movie and it seems like it's going to be same old, same old, I'm probably not going to finish watching it because I'm done with it. We've done Peter Pan several times, several different ways. It's time to stop. It's time to let it be. We don't need any more Peter Pan movies, any more than 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 we need any more Cinderella movies, any more than we need any more Snow White movies. It's time to stop. It doesn't need to be done. Come up with something else. Give me an original freaking idea, please. I don't want to see this anymore. And I'm talking to you, too. You. Stop buying tickets to these. Stop buying and supporting these movies. They need to stop. I know If you love Peter Pan, if that is your childhood favorite, there's a reason that that was your childhood favorite because you fell in love with that, whatever version you fell in love with. I'm not going to say, it doesn't necessarily have to be the animated original from Disney or anything like that. You found a version of that movie or that story that you fell in love with. And there's a reason you did. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to support every living, breathing version of this movie and of this story. It's time to stop, okay? Because it gets to the point where you hang around too long, right? And, and it just completely tarnishes the legacy of what was once a great story. And that's what we're do- that's what we've been doing with Peter Pan with like the last several iterations. It's time to stop doing that. It's really, really time to not do that anymore. So I is with all due respect to Reese Fake Waterfield, uh, Fake Waterfield, excuse me. I understand why you're doing this, but I wish you didn't. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Wish you didn't. And, and, and even though I don't support the whole Winnie the Pooh horror movie thing, at least it's a different take. It's it's weird. It's funky. I could see why people would want it. It's not for me. That doesn't mean it doesn't have to be for you. I'm not saying to stop that. I'm saying we need to stop making movies that we've made 7,000 times already. It's really time to not do that anymore, especially when it comes to, to grim fairy tales or Disney movies, things like that. They just don't need to be done several times. We've been doing Peter Pan movies for the, the entirety of my lifetime anyway. In the entirety of my parents' lifetime, we've been doing Peter Pan movies. It's just time to say goodbye to this whole thing. 
That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my wonderful guest for joining me this week. And make sure you're following along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok, downandnerdypodcast.com, too, by the way. Subscribe to us, too, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't care if it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you want to listen to your podcasts. We're there and appreciate you listening and subscribing and sharing the show, too, by the way. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.